Hello and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I'm here with Corey Bruneman. Corey is a San Antonio, Texas-based producer known for producing groups like Upon a Burning Body, Everyone Dies in Utah, and tons and tons more. We get into a lot of his process and a whole lot of thoughts about recording that I think are really cool. So check it out. second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, Tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? So today I got a Kel Song Sparrow, which is a company that's not even in business anymore, but I picked some up while they were, and I think it's super underrated. It's not harsh, like, you know, like an AT4040, which is what I had before. So it's really cool. And then I'm running into a Neve 511 preamp, and I just did my normal vocal chain, so it's also going into a warm audio 1176 and a distressor. Very cool. So tell me about your background in music. Well, as a kid, I was super into sports, so I wasn't really into music. And my parents put me in choir at church, and I thought it was super lame, honestly, when I was a kid. But uh, I got to do some touring with that. We went to, like, the Grand Canyon. We went throughout cities and states that were either around us. You know, the Grand Canyon's pretty far away, and we did... Stuff like that, which got me interested in touring way back then. And then in middle school and high school, I played in band. And I I can't remember exactly what I wanted to play, but it was everything that I wanted. I think it was like trumpet and maybe even clarinet, stuff like that. I was just awful at. So I played drums, like pit drums and marching band in high school and stuff like that. And so where does that take you to, do you end up playing in bands? What happens? Yeah, and what's funny is I didn't actually pick up a guitar. I play guitar now. Uh, I didn't actually pick up a guitar until I was 19 years old, which is like totally late bloomer for some people that play, you know, they start in bands when they're, you know, 15, 16 years old. Yeah, when I, when I, I heard the band Thrice at like 18 or 19 years old, and I watched my friend Trevor playing guitar and just decided... I needed to do that. It was incredible. I loved Artists in the Ambulance was the album that made me really want to play guitar. And then pretty much immediately after that, started trying to play in bands and stuff. 
Nice. That is a, is a great record. So how does that get you to be a producer? I don't know how old I was, but somebody had come over to my house and, and it was somebody that wanted to be in a band with me and they left an interface at my house and I just never talked to that person again. It was, <laughs> I, he just left it and never came back. And I, I started doing, I wanted to make, I wanted to make rap beats. Mm-hmm. I was terrible at it. But then I also just started kind of like recording guitar riffs to like keep instead of just having them in my head. And that kind of led me to like, I, I would do like a demo of a song and then I realized after a while I was I was kind of putting out better stuff in my own room than we were getting out of going to studios. So that's kind of how I got to making, you know, I, I figured out at one point, hey, I could do this for other bands and, and not have to work construction. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got started. It wasn't even like I was aiming to be a producer, but, you know, I love doing it now. So you have your... Oh, actually, tell me that. So, though, how does it click that you end up having people that are requesting you to do records? Oh, uh, so I played in a band called Through Arteries, and uh, we were decently popular in our area. And that kind of, you know, I just met other band dudes through that. They would hear the songs that we did. We we put out an EP that I did, and they heard those and would hit me up to, hey, let's do a song together. Let's do our EP together. So. Nice. Um, so you have your own studio. Can you tell us a little bit about your studio? Yeah, so I converted the garage of my house into a studio, and it has this cool extra room added onto it that's like a workshop area. So that's my live room, and it's nice and tight and, and dead sounding, which I really like for vocals and for guitars. It's super isolated. And then the, the big area, of the two, it's a two-car garage. The big area is the studio uh, lounge, hangout, everything. What's the coolest piece of gear your studio has? So for a long time, I really wanted a Focusrite Red 3. Mm-hmm. It was always the, you know, CLA always mentioned it in interviews. And then there's other people like Andreas Magnuson who has one, who always talked about it. He does it now, but Taylor Larson had one and he would talk great about it. And I wanted one forever and I finally picked one up and I use it and it's great. It's, it's one of those... Sometimes you get a piece of gear and you're so excited and then later you realize like this wasn't even really worth it. But yeah, this thing is incredible. And then the other thing I have is Dan Corniff built me a SSL bus compressor. Oh, wow. And I just got it like maybe a month or two ago. Mm. It's incredible sounding for drums. He put a, the, I can't remember what the mod is called, but it's like an API mm-hmm. transformers and the API op amps in it. Gotcha. So it's got like a, it's got like an API feel to it, and then it's also got the SSL feel to it. It's it's incredible. So you're using that for drums and the red on the bus? Mm-hmm. Red for mix bus and the SSL for drums. I've been thinking about switching them lately just to see what happens, mm-hmm. but uh, that's that's what I'm doing right now. The way, the way you have it is with, with the way I, I, I've commonly done it with the uh, Slate ones a, a lot, and then I have a TK Audio. Uh, SSL that I love on the drum bus, but it's always that thing. Whatever I swap them, I'm like, I just don't love the red on the drum bus. Yeah, I think the red does a cool thing to the drums when it's on the mix bus. Mm-hmm. Exactly, you know, addition instead of being the compressor for it. Ex- exactly. So you talked about playing guitar. Talked about playing a little drums. Do you play any other instruments? Uh, I actually don't play drums. I played pit instruments. I have oh, okay. to make that clear because I am a awful drummer. <laughs> as much as I as much as I want to be a drummer. But I played guitar, I, I played bass for a very short period before I played guitar, but I've always kept up playing bass. 
Uh, and then I was the vocalist for my band. And I think that's something that I associate myself most with is, is vocals. So we have a saying on the podcast, there's like the Steve Albini world of record production where you just get the toads and you don't really comment on the band's songs or anything. And then you have John Feldman who fully rewrites the band's songs for them when they get in the studio. Where do you see yourself most often on that scale on most records? Definitely on the John Feldman side. And that's, I I love songwriting more than anything, more than, you know, just jamming or anything. Writing songs is what is the most fun part to me. Um, so I'll take a band song and completely turn it upside down. Also, if a band doesn't want that, you have to kind of recognize that. And that's, that's totally fine. And I, and I think I know when to back off, but, uh, yeah, I love to, to turn band songs upside down. I think it's, you know, I I love the opportunity to take a, a band song and turn it upside down. If it's what makes the song better, which I think is important when you're with a band, as long as they understand that everyone's on the same team, then as much as we can change a song for the better, I think is is always great. There are bands that come along that don't want you to touch anything, and, and that's cool, too. So what you just said an interesting thing that I, I, I'm very obsessed with the idea of, uh, which is uh, that they recognize that you're on the same team. Is there anything you do to make people recognize you're on the same team? I think as long as you have ideas that are cool to the band, they it's, it's not even something you think about. You, if you work well with the band, there's no question that you're on the same team it's sometimes when bands maybe aren't into your ideas that it's that they start thinking like well this is our song like why what are you doing but uh, yeah i think a lot of that comes naturally that that you're on the same team when you work well with a band i like that what do you think you bring to records most often the writing is definitely a big part of it a lot of bands that come here know that i'm not bashful and that i will dig into their song and try to make it better. But the other thing is that I am a vocalist and what I want is to push the band's vocalist to perform better than he thought he was coming into the studio. And uh, I've seen a lot of vocalists get better in the studio or get better even afterwards because I, I push them to do things that were maybe uncomfortable to them at the time, but now they know how to do it. If that makes sense. Uh, uh, No, that's, that's totally awesome. What's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? I think the most answered question for this is is the correct one. It's not being prepared mm-hmm. and not either not having songs written, which is something I, I encounter a lot. As long as you tell me beforehand, hey, we have a song, but it's not really written. I'm prepared for that. But if you just come and the first day you're like, hey, I don't have a song. Like that, that it It gives the whole beginning of the session at least until you kind of break in a weird vibe that you're like, oh crap, I gotta, we gotta put a song together and, you know, we booked two days to do a song and now we're writing it. Uh, it's definitely not helpful. And then not being able to play your parts is, you know, when you're, when you're learning parts right before you're playing them, it's not, it's not fun. And you're not, you're not getting the best out of your time with me. If that's the way you come in. Uh, I, I totally agree. Um, it's funny because like the m- most common answer is either they're not prepared or they're too addicted to the demos. What, like they don't want to change anything? Yes, exactly. Oh, I, that's one thing. Because I'm so forward with my ideas, I'll give, no matter what, I'll give you my idea. You don't have to use it, but I'm going to tell you what my idea is. And I've run into the bands where like nothing that I say is is worth 
them using and it's so frustrating because I'm I, that's and that's what I'm talking about being on the same team it's like hey I just want your song to be better you you may not agree with everything but at least let me tell you you don't have to you don't have to use it but I just want your song to be better and some people are just no no matter what it can't be written by anyone but them and that's I think that's always frustrating because there there's always a way to improve upon a song I think I agree I think I, I think that at least at the least it's Try a bunch of other ideas and other perspectives, and if you really do believe what you originally had is the best intent, then that's one thing, but at least let's vet the ideas and make sure they're the best ideas. Yeah, I mean, some bands won't even try it, and then some bands, if they if they would have just tried it, I might even been like, oh wow, that was not good, never mind. Mm-hmm. But not trying it, I feel like, is, is closing yourself off to what could have been really cool it also ignores every you know like there is science to this they show over and over and over again in creative works that the best ideas come from trying alternates and then realizing what's the best choice that's cool i've never heard that but yeah that's absolutely true so uh what's a smart thing you see bands do during the recording process uh exactly what we were talking about trying a bunch of ideas i mean what one thing that i think is really cool is well number one trying things you've never done before because it can it can open you up to other ideas say you do something you're like wow that was terrible but now i have this other idea if you hadn't have tried it you wouldn't have ever gotten to you know what we may have kept in the end and just being weird doing weird stuff i i and it's especially with vocals i love trying weird stuff but a better way to think about it is guitar i have a bunch of pedals that just do weird things and I think it's cool to just, you know, the weirder you are, the more original it is. And that's not like, that's not a direct correlation, but I love being weird and doing weird stuff that's never been done before. So that's something, yeah, I just love being weird. <laughs> There's no reason not to be. What happens when you and a band disagree about something? So it definitely happens because you're not the same person they are. And like I said, I'm always going to give you my idea, but in the end, it's their music. It's not my music. And sometimes I actually have to think about that because I'm very headstrong. I think that, you know, if I have an idea, it's worth listening to, but yeah, in the end it's, it's the band's music. It's, it's their, it's their art, not my art. And, and I'm there to, to help them create what they came to create. Very cool. So we, uh, this next few questions are about how you feel about a bunch of modern production stuff. Um, do you amp simulators dash reamping have a role in your productions? Yeah. So, I don't do a lot where we plug into a guitar amp and I record it. I do sometimes, definitely the more rock stuff that I do, we do that. Uh, and I'll keep a DI for that as well. But typically we plug in and we record through an amp sim. And I think they're great for that. You get, <clears throat> I use TSE X50 and you really get what I feel like is a real feel from an amp. But if you want to go back and reamp it later, I have some really cool amps. You can bring your own cool amp. I think that reamping, <coughs> I think reamping is, is awesome and you can get, you can really dive into your tone at the reamping stage. But I use amp sims on mixes too. Sometimes you plug in the amp sim and it's exactly what you want. I don't think there should be a rule like you can't use an amp sim for a mix because it's not real. Uh, I think that's, uh, one, you know, I keep saying this, I think that's cutting yourself off to what could be the best version of the product. How about sample dash uh, MIDI program drums? Yeah, of course. Uh, we're, and we're, we're moving more towards that anyway. A lot of the mix projects that I get are MIDI drums, so I don't really have a choice. I love live drums. I love 
going to a studio and recording live drums. And I think the I think the the goal is always get the very best live drum sound you can. And there are times where you know I'll record live drums and I won't use tom samples. I won't use snare samples. But I, there's no reason not to. There's not a. There's no. There shouldn't be an ego like I didn't use drum samples, so this is better. If it sounds better, it sounds better. And I typically like the way a kick sample sounds anyway. Mm. I think it sounds tighter than a than a drummer may play it. And I think that's. I think the kick sample is a sound rather than keeping the live kick. But yeah, I mean, I mix a lot of stuff with MIDI drums, and I think it can turn out great. As long as whoever programmed it, whether it be me or the band, kept in mind how a drummer would play it. That's super important. You can't just have everything hard hits and, and think it's going to sound good. It still matters that you think about how a drummer would play it. But yeah, absolutely. MIDI drums, sample drums definitely have a place in my in my work. Nice. What role does pitch correction have in your productions? I'd be lying if I said it didn't have a place, of <laughs> course. As a vocalist, though, like I said, I'm always pushing vocalists to do their best and if we nail a take i love that but it doesn't mean i'm not going to go you know touch it up with auto-tune but what's absolutely most important to me when it comes to vocals and and how i use pitch correction is i want the emotion of a vocalist to be there more than i want a perfect note so if you had the two options between a singer saying everything right but he focused so hard on singing the right notes mm-hmm. that there wasn't emotion there versus he went in there and absolutely belted it out and the emotion was there, but you know, a couple notes were flat. I think that is what you keep and maybe touch up the notes. I always feel like when you feel the emotion of a singer, that's the most important. And, he, and what's a good example of that is uh, the old emo bands that we used to grow up listening to. Oh, the vocals are sometimes awful sounding they're so out of tune but they were super they had that raw emotion to them and that's what that was more important and that and you feel that in that in that kind of music a hundred percent agree how about favorite soft sense omnisphere 2 nice i could i could use it for everything and be happy it's yeah it's incredible i use other stuff uh, I have complete, and I use you know some stuff through that uh, damage, other heaviosity stuff. I can't remember the name of it. Aeon, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Omnisphere could be everything for me. I think that's the best sounding soft synth there is. It, every like you just you put a patch on, you hit a key, and it's almost always like correct. Mm-hmm. Like you have to search for a patch, but the patches they have in it are just they fit almost every time it's so it's awesome it's inspiring to play the synth parts because they're always already there you don't have to go and create it that's what's really cool about it yeah i I think that's really well put do you master your own records uh i do i would love if every band had budget or cared to have the budget because that's probably more the answer is they don't want to pay more money for mastering but when I have other stuff, or when I have my stuff mastered by someone else, I always feel like it's that one extra step that's cool that, you know, me listening and mixing and mastering, I wouldn't have thought of. But yeah, I master my own stuff, and like I said, I have the Focusrite Red 3 mm. that I love, and I'll, I'll absolutely master my own stuff. I think I do a good job at it. I think it's passable, and that's how most of my stuff is. I would love if someone else would master the, the records that I do. It's not life or death, but it's it's definitely really cool to have somebody uh, somebody else's ear on it. Nice. 
how long do you like to take to work on a song in tracking? And then how long does it usually take you to mix a song? So with tracking, it works really differently between doing a single and doing a record. Because for a single, I always book three days. And we may not even use three days, but we have the three days. Because I, I don't think... One of, one of the things with tracking is I don't think you should rush anything. There shouldn't be a need to rush. I don't feel like you create the best music in a rush. So I like to have that time. And then so, especially if we're recording drums, I think you need three days. You got to, with a single, you're setting up the drums to record one song, which may take you as little as two hours to actually track it, uh, negating all the setup and, and stuff. That's just a time killer for singles. You know, you could track guitar and bass in a day. And then I, and I really like to have a full day for vocals whether we use the full day or not, it's always nice to, to have. So for like a single three days, I try to keep that amount of time with doing a record. So 10 songs, 30 days, maybe 25, you go like two and a half days. And if we use it all, then great. If we don't, I get started on mixing. Yeah, about two and a half, three days. Two and a half, three days. And then how, about, how long does the mix usually take you? So what I do when I'm tracking is... Maybe maybe less with drums, but with guitar, I try to I try to find the tone with the band. So if we're not going straight in, we'll do the reamps together. We'll do the I do bass reamps. We'll, we'll record the DI and then we'll do the bass reamps. I have a a uh, dark glass mm -hmm. yeah. pedal. Which, that's that's next on my list to buy. Oh, it's ab I absolutely recommend it to anyone. It is unbelievable. So we'll do the reamps with that and try to find a bass tone that everyone likes. So by the end of tracking, I've kind of got a mix going. So there's times that, you know, a few hours of setting up a drum mix and automation and I can be done. Sometimes a day per song, two songs per day. I, I try not to dwell on small decisions with mixing. And mm. a lot of times, not that you're rushing, but when you get to the end quickly, you've not had time to second guess what you're doing and you just get the mix and a lot of times bands will tell you hey just turn the guitar up a little bit okay cool quick mm -hmm. quick fix and you're done but you didn't sit and oh man this snare is a little i need to carve out 600 you know that kind of stuff is crazy to me that people spend so much time on stuff that's not even gonna matter i think it's i think if you get where you're going and maybe then look back over the mix you, you, you're going to do a, be, a a much better job, at least for me. I don't know. I, th I think you're right. I think pe too many people get, they zoom too close on the micro and forget the macro, and it ends up being what ruins the mix by zooming in too hard, and it just, it really does take away, like, so, you know, it's like that funny thing of, like, I'm sure you probably have the same experience. It's like, when you're a being against records that a band's like, oh, I love the sound of this, you're sitting there like, wow, like... Why didn't they carve out that 800 on that? Like, that's weird. <laughs> like, there's always some flaw, but it doesn't matter. Like, those little flaws usually are some of the character that make a record work. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember who was, who it was that said this, mm -hmm. but something that really changed the way I mixed was, like, take a minute and get your drum drum sound where, it, where you want it. You know, not long. Just do it as quickly as possible, basically. Get your guitars. Like I said, I do the guitar and the bass while we're tracking, so I have the tones, you know, not EQ'd or anything, but I have them there. Turn everything on and mix that way. Don't solo out the snare drum. Don't solo out the guitars and EQ it that way. There's no reason to, you know, carve 
frequencies out of your snare drum forever if in the mix it's going to sound dumb. Like mm-hmm. I've done that too many times where I'm like, wow, this snare drum is perfect. You turn the guitar on and it sounds terrible. So once I stopped doing that, I found that everything's quicker anyway that you're not doing that. You just turn everything on, you get the levels, then you can do your carving, then you can do your EQing. But I no longer understand why you would want to EQ something by itself. It doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah, outside of, you know, all of a sudden somebody's like, yo, I hear this thing in there and you need to solo to zoom in. It's You're totally dead on. Like, it's like, there's no need. Yeah, there's. It's. I'm not saying I don't solo an EQ, but that's how some people like, Every element, they've done it from soloed, then into the mix. Yeah, like if, you hear, if you're listening to the mix and you hear something in guitars, solo it and try to find it. But not like from the start and then you put stuff together. That's weird. Uh, I 100% agreed. What's a good lesson you've learned from another produ- producer, speaking of things you learned from other people? So when my band was touring and active, we got to go record with Joey Sturgis. Oh, cool. Yeah, and that dude is incredibly smart, and everything he does is very meticulous. And I got to see, uh, you know, I got to see firsthand how he worked. And I was, I was kind of just starting. I, I had done my band's first EP, but it's pretty trash sounding. <laughs> and we got to go with him, and it was incredible. I learned so much about guitar tracking, about punch ins that you know, before I'm trying to track songs in one go. Mm. and he's not scared to take a punch in he's not you know he's you know i learned about riff building from him which is you know a way of punching in to get the tightest sound and i learned a i learned a lot from joey and he's and he's very smart and i think that's very obvious to a lot of people now yeah totally i, I it's definitely no doubt that he's one of the more unique and insightful people in this business yeah, absolutely. Tell me about one of the best moments you've had in the studio. So this was another one. I, it was hard to pick out a moment, mm-hmm. but I know this just happened with a band and it's happened before. When you get done, so you're, you're making a record. Everything's going great. There's nothing wrong. You get to the end, though, and you just listen through and the band is like, oh, my God, I can't even believe this is our this is our record is always because I. I, I do this and, and I think we're doing a good job and, and a lot of times the bands are into it, but they're not they don't they don't tell you that along the way and at the end they're just like, Oh my god, this is incredible. I, that's one of my my favorite feelings. To exceed someone's expectations is always that's the best moment and it and it happens more than once. That's pr- that, that's a great answer. I like that a lot. How about one of the worst moments of what you've learned from it? So this is kinda kinda unrelated. Mm-hmm to actual tracking in studio, but there's a band called Samsara that came from Yuma, Arizona in, they came around April and we were, we were just tracking and somebody texted me and was like, Hey, you all right? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm fine. They're like, Oh, okay, cool. And, and about 10 minutes later it started hailing. So we went outside. We're like, Oh, cool. It's hailing. But then it started really hailing. Uh, and my sister-in-law had come over, and my wife's car was there, my car and the band's van. My car was totaled by the hail during wow. the recording session. I had a glass roof, and, a gl- and all the glass in my car was just shattered, destroyed. My wife's car still looks like Swiss cheese. 
my sister-in-law doesn't even live where it hailed, but she happened to come over and it got destroyed. And it was like, so it, it was, we were nearing the end of the record and it was such a bummer, but like we finished the record and like, it was almost rewarding to, to fight through that and finish it. I know it's not super related to recording. No, but. I, I think you're actually making a great point of like there. There's times things outside your life are really bumming you out, and you have to stay focused. And yeah, I, I, I've totally been there a million times. You know, it's like when I, uh, you know, I'm out about this that I had cancer a few years ago, and it was like that thing of when I got diagnosed, I had a session the next hour. Oh my god! <laughs> it was like. All right, let's 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 do this, and uh, you know, you, you some you, you, there's a thing now that like every day is kind of easy after that. I'm yeah, I'm over here bummed about my car being totaled. No, 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 and come on, through it. That's incredible, man. That's yeah, it's and it is. It's it, life happens, and yeah, you know, your life isn't just the studio, and it's it can get to you, and and yeah, you have to fight through it. I, you know, what's funny too is like uh, when I worked for Ross Robinson. On two different records, he broke his back before the first days of the records. Like, literally, like... How do you do it twice? (laughs) Well, he was really into motocross at the time. Now now, now he can't do that anymore. And, uh, you know, dude would show up with the utmost focus on no painkillers, because he's really organic and healthy, and just kill it. And he'd be sitting there, and you'd look at him, and you could see he was in hell. But learning how to do that is like what gets you to the next level of your production game. And I think like you saying this, it's like it's that 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 thing of like you got to just sit there and persevere and let that record be the light of your life when the things get dark. Yeah, and it's it's totally something that the band shot a little like studio documentary and that's a part of the focus of it. Oh, oh part wow. of the hailstorm, I forgot. The hailstorm knocked a a you know, 5 foot diameter branch off a tree onto my roof too. Oh. And it wasn't, it didn't like destroy the roof or anything, but like we just saw if it would have fallen all the way, it would have crushed my house. Wow. But that was another part. We just looked at that like, and it's over the studio. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, let's go keep tracking, I guess. Wow. <laughs> it was, that whole storm was, it was the craziest. We were outside watching it and one of the dudes got hit in the arm with hail and like was bleeding. Wow. It was, inc- it was an incredible hailstorm. I can't even, it was pile, like a foot tall pile of hail outside. It was like nothing I've seen before. So let's get into lighter stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get into your tasted music. What's a perfect record someone else has made and what about it makes it perfect? Well, I'll tell you my favorite record of all time. And, and it's Trapped, which I know right now is not a popular band with a lot of people. But Trapped's first record is the CD that at any time I can just go back to and jam and it's like you know if i'm if i'm stoked you know i can i can work out to it if i'm sad i can go listen to it and it makes me feel better it's just like my everything record and i think it's definitely musically my favorite and i don't think it has anything to do with mix and i think that speaks towards songwriting that it's not a bad mix but it, the mix doesn't matter because the songs to me are incredible I think that's I like that saying that you said it's your everything record, and I I think that that's an important thing to have. Um, admittedly, I know nothing of that record. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember Headstrong? I like you saying Trapped and you saying Headstrong. I'm like I know this, but I also there were so many years of my life that I worked so hard that I was so 
like ignorant to anything that was going on outside the recording studio I was in. How old are you? I'm uh, 38. I mean, yeah, it's probably during that time. That that record's pretty old. Mm. It's one of those things like, you know, I'm sure, sure you probably have the, this, that is that sometimes like you're only, the only way you're hearing music outside of the genre you work in is like when a band's like, oh, do you hear this? Or somebody in your like social media feeds like, do you did you hear this? And there was like so many years of my life, I'm like, I have no idea what, what, what any of this is. A lot of that is, for me, is brand new records in the genre I work in. I don't have a time. I don't have time to listen to. And uh, a lot of times, that's that's how I find stuff. Is bands are like, oh, did you hear this new song that came out? You know, mm-hmm. a month ago. I'm like, no, I didn't even know. Like, yeah, I, I feel you on the. You're working so hard, you're almost oblivious to music. It's kind of sad because. I feel like we got into music because we love music. Uh-huh. And a lot of times at the end of the day, I'm like, I just worked on music all day. I don't want to hear anything. Yeah. I, and you know, it's like the funniest thing that, that I always say about this is like, I can remember when I started working for Alan Douches years ago and he was like, I don't listen to any music. And I'm like, I'm never going to be that. And I totally was that for so many years of my life is like, all I listen to is podcasts when I'd get out of work. Now I'm <laughs> in a better place where I'm like getting inspired again, but probably like three, four years. Like I would never listen to music recreationally ever. I don't know if you ever did this, but what in the last year, what really got me inspired to listen to music Mm -hmm. when I was done with is listening to rap, which is something I do not work on. Mm -hmm. I never even really loved it that much, but because the production and because what goes into rap music is so different, it made me start analyzing rap music as a producer and it made it really cool for me to listen to and I and now I even can bring some of that rap influence into records that I do so I just did Upon a Burning Bodies record in mm-hmm. January and they wanted like some rap feel to it they wanted that kind of culture to the music and I was like wow perfect this is what I've been chanting for six months now and it's like one of my biggest inspirations in music is bringing that to it so it was like perfect timing that you know, I was listening to something that is has nothing to do with what I do. Yeah, I you know, for me, it's uh, I listen to a lot of dance music, and I always have outside of even you know, I grew up as like a kid who listened to punk and metal, but like dance music to me, it's like listen, learning the precision of the synthesizers, the creativity of that, and how tight the vocals are did a lot for me because I grew up on '90s and '80s punk where um. Precision in the vocals uh, is not really a thing. Do it once and walk away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like that thing of like I, I like I say it. It's like, you know, what's interesting of like, you know, if you're a 28 year old, I think the the saying is is that all your life you've heard an auto tuned vocal. Since we're now 16 years down that rabbit hole, but you know, I grew up with you know the most out of tune, hor- horrendously out of time vocals, and it was like I think of like it actually like took me a while to gain the standards of a tight vocal from listening to other types of music. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm 29. So maybe mm-hmm. I'm one year ahead of that curve, mm-hmm. but uh, no, I, I, I had become so used to the autotune vocal. It, I kind of had to go backwards mm. to, to find the feel of a vocalist because I would take a vocalist at the very beginning of when I was recording and it didn't matter what they did. Okay, cool. I'll just autotune it and I'm done. Like that's, mm-hmm. that became so the the perfectness became ingrained in my head. It took me a while to realize that, well, even like those pop songs, even if they are tuned perfect, there's a lot of emotion in it still, and, and you have to find that. But yeah, I think the reason you listen to pop and the reason I listen to rap are pretty related. Mm-hmm. The pre- precision of the sense is a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, that and then the auto-tune vocal. Uh, yeah, it's way different, and it's and it's really cool. 
Yeah, I, I like that. So, so with that, how about three of your favorite producers? Just newer guys who are doing old school sounding stuff. So like Nolly mm-hmm. is right now. He's he's definitely my favorite producer. That's that's big right now. I listen to the Woven War track. It's only one album. I mean, only one song that's out right now. I've listened to it probably a thousand times. I just think it's the most perfect mix. And I think what he does is so cool because it sounds like nobody else. Mm, yeah, I just watched his Nailed a Mix all last week and I totally enjoyed how wise he was. I I, uh, I go back to it. He did a creative live and I go back uh-huh. to it all the time to just watch it just to be like, oh yeah, this is, it's, it, yeah, what, what he does is incredible because he's so mindful of being perfect, but not in the mixing part, in the tracking part, mm-hmm. which is super important. And I think it's super cool that that's the route he goes. Yeah, I, I, you're making a great point here, too, is that I think that there has become such a focus on your uh, computer skills these days that people forget that, like, really the tracking is what really makes everything is like, if you can get good at that stuff, that's going to be what makes you a great producer instead of just a, another producer that no one's li- really caring about. Give me some more. Will Putney, mm. same kind of idea. Be be good in tracking, and then you know the stuff comes together. And he's he loves that super raw sound. And I think it's super heavy. Um, he'll get criticism sometimes from you know it doesn't sound like a Joey Sturgis record, but mm-hmm. you know that's because it sounds like a Will Putney record. And I think it's huge and incredible. Yeah, he's doing great work. Can I throw a mixer out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one, my favorite mixer of all time. Which is probably almost the opposite of those two is CLA. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess he's not the opposite. He's just a, so consistent. Yeah, it really is so consistent. He's it's incredible. Like, I mean, a lot of his records that he's done are, are my favorites. They're, I mean, consistent. It's I say it over and over. Obviously, every time that he mixes something, it's gigantic sounding. Cool. Hey, I'm gonna throw it in though. How about a rap producer? Uh, Metro Boomin. Oh, nice. Very very well done. Absolutely my favorite. So my friend and bandmate, Carl, makes beats. And we just did three songs for a band called Backwards that are beats. Two of them are rap songs. One of them's like the weekend style okay. uh, singing over the over a beat. R&B-mo, as we call it. Yeah, that's, yeah exactly. I'm going to have to add that one to my vocabulary. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I had to listen to a lot of beats and figure out you know who did them and and what my favorite style is. So uh, one of my favorite rappers is Drake, mm-hmm. and that's totally generic, but I love his vocal, and he works with Metro Boomin a lot, and his beats are my favorite. Very cool. Let's talk about five records that had a huge impact on your musical growth. Uh, number one is the Trapped album. I already talked about it. Number two, okay, let me start by saying, because I am the age I am, I grew up with a lot of mixed CDs and single culture Mm-hmm. So some of these aren't albums, but I'm going to kind of throw them out there. Sure. So the first one I said is my is the Trapped album. I love it. Number two is just in general, Three Days Grace and Breaking Benjamin. Mm-hmm. They both have like three albums or four albums a piece that I could listen to all eight albums just in a row, just all of them. And those are my two favorite bands. So that's not surprising. But uh, there's some there's some CLA, a lot of CLA in those records, especially the three days gray stuff. Mm. And just those two bands in, in general, all of their albums are incredible. In my opinion, three I picked bullet for my Valentine venom. I believe it's called 
And that's that's another one. It's a CLA album, and it's one of the most giant sounding records. And it's and it's heavy, and it's rock, and it's soft, and it's it it does a little bit of everything. But Bullet for My Valentine's super aggressive all the way through, and it's one of my favorite records. To to it's like a car jam. You just headbanging the whole time. It's awesome. Nice. Um, then I picked a, a a new one, which is Thrice's new album. So like I said. Artists in the Ambulance made me pick up a guitar and start music, but they lost. They kind of lost me for a while. I was sad that they they weren't heavy. I wanted the heavy thrice, and uh, the album after that, Vesu, I loved. And then I kind of I kind of just put them down for a while, and I don't even know what it was that made me listen to a new record because I just expected the same soft, you know, stuff. And I listened to it, and I can't stop listening to it to this day. It's it's not like their other stuff. It's not heavy either, but it's. <laughs> I, I see people say it's butt rock. <laughs> yeah. So we'll call it that. No, I love it. Uh, I do too. It's, it's so creative. It's, it's like they didn't care what anyone, what anyone thought. And that's, that's important to me because that's how I feel too. I think that that's know. the only way you make great music. People make good music with some experience. Like, there's even this great Rick Rubin thing like where he talks about that. When you let outside influences let in, it dilutes what your emotions will actually be. And then mm-hmm. you have to get rid of all expectations. And I think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? I got two more, actually. So Linkin Park, Hybrid Theory, and Meteora. Those two albums were complete game changers in their day, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I agree. And that's what's cool about it. They're they're still relevant today. There are people that pick up that record today and fall in love with it, and they're 15 years old. That's incredible that, you know, 15 years later, it still sounds new. It still is relevant. Yeah, they're, those, those albums are always classics, so to speak. And then the last one I threw in a rap album. Drake, if you're reading this, it's too late. That's a, at end of the day, I don't feel like listening to music. I'll make myself listen to something like that. And that album specifically is just hard all the way through, which I love. A blowout, a blowout album. Mm-hmm. Well, you actually did the did something that no one does on this podcast, which is name really modern music that's come out within like the last year in your uh, five albums. Is there another record that's come out recently that's really uh, inspired you? I answered this with the Thrice album first, first and foremost because no, I've ne- it's been a long, and I think it's because I'm old, older. It's been a long time since I've had a record come out and listened to it and just been completely taken with it. A lot of new music is you. I can't remember what you just said. It had like expe- you, the band went in with expectations mm-hmm. of what to write, and you listen to a record and you're like, "Wow, that's cool," and then you don't ever go back to it again. Uh, and, and the Thrice album is I can't put it down. It's it's one of those. But then I have another one. It's uh, Breaking Benjamin's new album. It was I believe nine years between their last record and this one. Oh wow! And they put an album out that. Not in a bad way. It sounded like all of their other albums, mm. but it was also relevant to now. Like people, it still went number one on Billboard. I think nine oh, wow. years, nine years between albums, you still go number one. That's wow, I didn't realize that. Unbelievable. So, uh, I, you know, I love that band, and that's that's part of it. But that came out this year, 
yeah, it's it's a great album. If you if you haven't listened to it, and you're gonna listen to anything that I listened, I listed, listen to it. That's that's what I usually you know usually when I get done with this podcast, I do it within a day or two. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. Heck yeah. So the last question is, uh, what have you been working on lately? So I picked out a bunch of stuff I've been working on this year. So right now, I just finished two albums. One is a band called Backwards. They uh, it's actually two dudes that were in my band back in the day, and they're we'll call it rap core. I know they hate okay. that. They're gonna love that I called them that. But uh, <laughs> no, it's it's a uh, their frontman Eric uh, is an MC from back in the day. Did rap, you know. He does. He's done mixtapes and stuff. He was also the front man for another band before this, but it's a lot, a lot of rap influence. They're singing. Uh, he screams as well, and he's super rhythmic with it. It's really, really cool stuff. That's another band you should check out. They're brand new. I just did an album for a band called Outbreak Zero, which I think is probably some of the coolest music that I've ever worked on. They're unsigned, and I think they're just super cool. This this year, I've also done. I did a single for a band called Nonpoint, uh-huh. which was really cool for me. Um, that's something I I probably wouldn't have ever, ever imagined doing. Then I did in January. I did the Upon a Burning Body album, mm-hmm. and I mixed a band for Spine Farm called Dark Complex, which is uh, it's really cool. It's super Lincoln Park influenced, in my opinion, mm. uh, and it's really really cool music. I mixed the whole album. And was basically jamming it the whole time. That was it was super fun to mix because I enjoyed it so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet. That if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 